ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Sensi Brewcast, the voice of Sensi Craft. I'm the gnarly gnome. Uh, as you can probably hear behind me, we're not holed up in the basement. This is the first show that I have done from a brewery or a tap room, uh, definitely since last year. <laughs> I don't remember the exact date, but it has been many, many weeks since I've gotten out of the house to do something. And uh, I have to say, it feels really good to be out. <laughs> Um, it's also been a very long time since I've been here to do a show, and things have definitely uh, changed a lot in the not only just the world of craft beer since I was here last, but also here since I was here last. Uh, I'm at Deadlow Brewing. Um, we are in California. Is that technically the... I think so. I think That's, I think we're in California, yeah, <laughs> California, Ohio, um, right on the uh, the river, right by uh, right by the highway. You guys, you guys know where Deadlow is, right? If you don't, um, click on some things that are in the show notes, and it'll give you directions on how to get here because you need to get here. This place is one of one of my favorite brew pubs in the city. Um, the quality of food that's coming out of here is incredible. Um, when it's nice outside, it's amazing to sit outside. <laughs> it's definitely not nice outside right now, but um, big tap room. So there is plenty of space if you want to come out here and uh, socially distance and have a beer. Um, Grant Thompson, welcome to the show. First time on the show. Uh, you are still fairly new to this uh, Cincinnati craft beer community. You I, are. I feel very new. <laughs> well, it's it's also it's 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 got to be a little a little strange to come into um, a, a brewery right as all hell is breaking loose. Come into a community right as all hell is breaking loose, and, and not get that chance to kind of get out and uh, and shake hands and and actually you know really meet people the way we all want to. Oh, absolutely! And it was you know our timing was perfect. We moved back here from Chicago like I think a month before everything locked down. Right. So. You know, there really was no acclimating. It was just like <laughs> right in and then hibernate. Was there, I mean, and we'll get into kind of the, the, the whole story here, but was there a little bit of terror when you kind of, you know, you take this new job at a brewery, come into town, you kind of, you're, you're setting down these, these new roots for your family and then uh, COVID, well, I mean, COVID was already happening, but COVID really happened in this country and everybody is forced to shut down. Um, I know that puts a big question mark for every single business owner um, in this industry at that time, especially. Well, I mean, to these guys' credit, they were super responsible about it. Like I started talking to them right before everything shut down and then they didn't feel comfortable bringing me on until like they knew they could open back up. Right. So I talked to them beforehand. I had a Another, I was working construction for a while prior to this, you know, to kind of get us to the move and find right. a job and stuff. So, to their credit, they were very careful about not bringing me on just to like lay me <laughs> off. So, I mean, because that that possibility is a real possibility with, at that time. Oh, you know, sure. it, you know, not even due to the control of you know people. If if things had shut down for a lengthy amount of time, if if the restrictions are changing to who knows what could right. have happened, but um, it didn't. We're good. Yep. We're good. There's beer. <laughs> Speaking of, let's um, let's dive in. There's from the beer fridge um, segment on the show. The only segment on the show is called from the beer fridge because because uh, it's a beer podcast. We drink beer. Um, what are we sense. starting with? 
Uh, we're going to start with a Pilsner. It's actually not fully done yet. I had pulled some of this off, put it on as Wickle Pills, and it's just conditioning right now. This is just a straight German Pilsner, all German Pilsner malt, and no clarifying agents, nothing. Just It's, it's actually very fitting. I've talked a lot um, in recent especially in recent weeks, I guess, about uh, Zwickel beers and land beer and uh, Unga Spundit lagers, which is a new thing to me. Thank you, Fretboard, for teaching me about this weird beer style <laughs> um, and this idea of unfiltered um, lagers. And um, I've come to the conclusion that I really, really enjoy a good unfiltered lager, especially straight out of the tank like this. Well, and my, like my first kind of you know, time seeing it out in the wild was actually in Munich. And, you know, my wife and I are jet lagged. We just got there. We couldn't check into our hotel yet. So went over to August Steiner and, you know, we're just sitting there and some guys come in from after work and they just casually roll a wooden barrel up and they <laughs> tap it right there and they just start drinking this Keller beer right out, right out of the uh, wooden cask. So, it's, And from what I understand, it is a fairly, fairly traditional thing to do um more so for people that worked in the breweries you know the it's kind of the same as it is now you yeah. pour a little sample off the tank and uh um i like it it gives it a little bit more of a uh, a little bit more of a body this one is really nice and kind of minerally and uh just really really delicious i mean it helps that it's uh my first beer of the day always tastes amazing <laughs> so, um talk about um Talk about let's just talk about beer styles first before we get into kind of um, your history and how you ended up here. Um, what kind of things do you like to brew? What kind of things get you excited? Um, I, there's lots of lots of fun trends in beer right now, good or bad. Um, what <laughs> kinds of things do you like? I mean, I kind of have the stock answer that most brewers have. I mean, I'm a I'm a history nerd when it comes to the beer. So classic styles. If I could spend all my day just brewing classic German clean lagers i vote that you can yeah <laughs> i don't know what the market does but uh yeah it's kind of where you know my interests lie but it's also kind of fun to like take those interests and try to apply them to what the market will drink and make those a little bit more accessible and stuff like that i think the market is shifting though too i think we're definitely sure. in a really exciting time where people are getting more into tradition whether they realize it or not you know i yeah. think that um when you start talking especially when we talk about loggers and you know i think that there's a lot of people that don't when they're going out and, and getting some of these craft loggers they're not thinking of it as getting these traditional old styles it's the new right trendy thing it's the thing that they uh they're everybody's talking about it so that's what they're drinking you know so there is a shift happening for some reason <laughs> and that's that's also exciting for yeah for sure yeah <laughs> How do you feel about some of those other newer trendy things? The uh, the pastry stouts, the uh, gummy bear this and uh, cereal that, and to each their own. I mean, you know, <laughs> if that's if that's your bag, that's cool. And like, obviously, there's a market for it too. You know, like there's no, I'm not, I'm never gonna detract from what somebody likes to do. Um, I wouldn't personally go down that route. I think it's more fun to kind of take those flavors that you're going for and instead of putting like chocolate cake in a lot of time like trying to create, try to create chocolate cake yeah, from something else through yeah. the ingredients yeah but you know that's just where my head goes and i'm not everybody and thank I, goodness for that i tend to i tend to lean towards that direction too and that's not to take away from the people that are that are making 
cocoa puff, whatever, you know, like I, I've had some of those that are really, you know, tasty, but, um, there is something about, there's something about drinking a, uh, a beer that is made the same way as it's been made for centuries and maybe have a new spin on it somehow, which even that is, is mind blowing to me that you can taste things still that it's like, I've never, I've never had a beer that tasted just like that before. And it's just always this, uh, discovery, I guess that's, that's fun. It is fun. And I mean, I don't know. I think there's something to be said for the fact that I, I come from a packaging background. Like this is the first brewery I've ever worked at that was not, you know, primarily a packaging brewery. So when I think about a beer, I think about what's going to hold up on the shelf, what's going to have a consistent quality product without an exploding can. You know, like that's, (laughs) that is my, because guys that's wrong. If that's happening, you're doing something wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's just where my head goes. So that's kind of how I like drive all of my thought process and, crafting beers so well and there there are a lot of folks that are getting into craft not not to take it again not to take away from anybody that's doing anything any certain way but there are folks that are getting into craft beer kind of from a you know straight from a home brewing side where um they don't even there's no there's no thought that goes into that that sort of thing you know you guys don't have beer all over shelves all around town but that shouldn't mean that you're not making a product that is shelf stable, that if somebody comes and fills a crowler that they can, you know, feel comfortable putting it in their car and driving home (laughs) for sure. Things like that. It's, um, it's a, it's a weird time for craft beer as much as it is an exciting time. How did you get into making beer? How did this all begin? Uh, I mean, it first started like most people just homebrewing and I was in college actually. Um, I think it was a, six year senior at Ohio U and you know just really broke so I mean my buddy were just making beer because so the uh, going a little quick tangent the yeah. amount of people in Cincinnati beer that went to school there is really strange and like like well is it I don't know <laughs> I don't know how but I don't know if it's like is it just like that in every city is like is there this weird um proportion of people who uh, are in the beer industry who went to school there or is it just Cincinnati or I mean there was a guy out in Chicago who owned a brewery that went there I mean I think honestly Jackie O's probably had a big at least for me had a contributing factor like I remember going there when it was still a Hoolies right and you know that was kind of my first intro to like real craft beer anywhere because I was just coming of age you know so I think that might have something to do with it because they were pretty ahead of the game on a lot of things, Yeah, you know, and you could, people would buy Jackie O's kegs for parties and stuff. So right. it was not out of the question to have like Raz wheat at a party. Right. So, so you started home brewing mm-hmm. in college. Uh, was it, uh, how, what is, what is kind of your approach or how, even at that time to home brewing? Was it, uh, a way to get better beer? Was it a, like a a science kind of thing where you just wanted to know how that stuff worked? Was it just because you thought it might be cheaper? What was, what was the, uh, what was the thought process that got you to start homebrewing? Initially it was just the cheaper aspect of Mm -hmm. it. And then, and then it just became fun. Like me and my buddy I was doing it with, we didn't really want to do some of the stuff that, you know, other people were doing at that time because, you know, we were older than everybody else at the time. So, and, you know, that's not to say I was mature by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was just fun to hang out and make the beer and do whatever. I 
I happened to rent a basement in somebody's house that has was totally unfinished and had zero windows. We called it the cave. And that's kind of where we did all our fermentation and all that stuff down there too. So so how long until you realize that it's more than just making beer in the cave with your friends and it could be a road that you want to go down as a, as a career? Well, I took a little detour. Um, I was a teacher for a while. Okay. Um, I actually taught preschool for like three years and then I taught middle school. Um, taught at a charter school up in Lorraine. Um, and my sister at the time worked at the brew kettle in the brew on premise right. and just over summer break, I went and took a part-time job there and then I just didn't go back <laughs> to school. So and that leads you to great lakes. Yes. Um, so I was at the brew kettle working on their brew on premise. And then I went and worked on the packaging line at great lakes. Um, from there I chased, I met my wife who already lived in Chicago and I chased her out there and I took a job at Finch beer company. So. Right. I remember getting Finch beer on the shelves around here for uh, for a little while. For a little while, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was good stuff. Mm. Um, from what I remember, it was good stuff. Um, and then that leads you to another startup. Did you? Yeah, I mean, so Finch had a little, had a rocky thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the head brewer that hired me and the three other brewers was kind of on his way out. Okay. Um, so he kind of assembled a group of four brewers and... And then took a different job. Gotcha. I believe he went to Lagunitas. Um, so the owner at the time, instead of you know promoting anyone, realized that it was much more cost effective <laughs> right. to just have us do it together. Um, and I don't honestly think it could have worked with any other group of guys. We all kind of complimented each other in terms of our strengths and what we were willing to do. Um, so it worked really well. How long had you guys all worked together? I was the last one that started there. So... At that point, like six months. I find it interesting when you get teams like that that work really well together fairly quickly like that versus people that have been together for you know 20 years that um, it makes sense that they would all kind of think the same way at that point. But right. yeah. to get people to find a group that can kind of click like that is, is difficult to do. Yeah, it was a unique situation and it worked and we all, I learned a lot just based on every, like I said, everyone had different strengths. So Right. Um. So you guys are in Chicago. Um, you come back to Cincinnati um, because you had kids. Yes. <laughs> so at the time I was working, I helped uh, Ravinia Brewing start up. Um, and that was a pretty, I mean, we did really well right off the rip, um, mostly because of our salesperson. She was awesome. Um, so we did like 800 barrels the first year all production and then went in 1200 barrels the second year. Um, and then I had my kids. So I had twins and we thought we could kind of try to ride it out in Chicago, but didn't have any family or anything. So it made the most sense to come back here where my wife's family is and get a lot of help. So, and that lands you where you're at now. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's drink another beer. Yeah. Um, you want to do this one or you want to, I already almost finished. This okay. One, well, so. then let's talk about this one. This okay, is cool. uh, you said Baltic Porter. This is a Baltic Porter. Yeah. So I actually had this one on tap. I did a 20 barrel batch of it, um, split it, sent 10 barrels up. Um, and then this 10 has been lagering for like a month and a half. Um, and then I probably going to do coffee or something with this one. So the, um, 
the choice to take half of it, put it on tap, and then leave the other half to let it lager. Uh, why? Is that it didn't taste like it was where it could go yet? Or what was the... Uh, I wanted to do something fun with the second half, okay. and I just knew that the longer it sat, the longer it conditioned, the more that something fun would stand out against the beer. So, so is it is you you knew you wanted to do something with it, and mm-hmm. is it like you just kind of try it every once in a while once it's back here, and kind of once all of a sudden something pops in your head that that's the thing that it needs? Or I wish it was that. Cool. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I no, I honestly I was just waiting, kind of supply and demand, waiting till the first batch right. kind of ran its course and it's, it's delicious. It's, you know, if it, Baltic porters, nice and big and smooth. And, uh, it, you know, again, very timely. We've talked about dark loggers on multiple shows recently. Um, I feel like it's another one of those things that's right now, um, getting everybody really excited. I feel like we went for a really long time without seeing any of them. And, um, now we've got really great, uh, sports beers around town. There's a handful that I would say are just incredible around here and things like a Baltic Porter that are, are, you know, we, we just didn't see, we didn't see a lot of, a lot of, a lot of beers like that. And now, now we've got them. Yep. <laughs> They're one of my favorite styles, honestly. It's it's a it's a strange style though. Like it's not something that um, I think is uh, very familiar for a lot of beer drinkers. Um, what makes something a Baltic porter? Honestly, for me, it's kind of taking that porter kind of lineage. Because obviously, I mean, but even even that a porter, there are a lot of people that don't know a porter versus a stout. Like, you know, Right. Like, I mean, a porter, it's weird because a porter was like the easy drinking beer in England, you know? Right. Um, but then once they saw a new market in Russia with the czars and like the Baltic states, that's when they really kind of decided to put out Baltic porters. And I think it was the, the bottom fermenting lager yeast just kind of meshed with people's tastes better in those areas. So. But it's still still a big beer, you know, uh, kind of falls in line with um, not, I mean, it's definitely not an Imperial Stout, but it is uh, kind of that road up there. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it is big beer, um, perfect for when it's cold outside. The thing I like about a Baltic Porter versus something like an Imperial Stout is that it does work when it's not cold outside also. Right. If you get a nice sunny day and you want to sit outside and drink a bigger beer, it still kind of keeps itself drinkable enough that uh yeah. you, you can <laughs> uh, let's talk about the schwartz beer yeah man uh one of my all-time favorite beer styles again we didn't have very many around town for a long time you would see one pop up every once in a while and you know in the last we'll, we'll say six months or so you've got you know places like west side that have an incredible one listerman put out a really great one um uh, my mind is blank. I should have put some notes down about Schwartz beer. Um, there's been a, a handful of really great ones just released recently, and I'm excited to try this one. Tell me about it a little bit while I'm drinking. I mean, my kind of push towards German lagers is kind of a reaction to, like, when I worked at Finch, like, literally 95% of the beers were double IPAs. 
So like we always really wanted to brew beers like this, like lower ABV lagers that kind of could hit different ends of the spectrum, but we couldn't because we weren't allowed. <laughs> um, so, and that's kind of just one of the natures of a uh, production brewery, especially at that time too. Like everyone wanted double IPAs. That was just it. West coast, you know, but the beauty of a pub is that like I can put stuff like this on and, you know, an easy drinking. It kind of, I like the surprise a lot of people get out of it too. Cause they see a dark beer, but then they taste it and it's incredibly easy drinking. Well, and it's, it's a fun one because when you talk about putting it with food, there's flavors that you pull out of a beer like this with food that you don't get when you're just sitting and drinking the beer, you know, right. it, it pulls some of those other, um, some of those other darker kind of flavors out of it. This is really good. This Thanks, is, ben. it doesn't, it doesn't lean too heavy into the roast or um, the, I mean, there's definitely some breadiness there, but not, not over the top. Sometimes you get them and it, it kind of smacks you upside the head, which is sometimes delicious. But um, this is just a, it's a, it's still, it's still a lager. It still is just super, super, I, I'm going to say smooth and drinkable, like a lot. Thanks, this, man. This it's, show. It's, I mean, that's, awesome. uh, that's the goal, right? It's, you know, if I'm going to make a beer that I really want to make, I want to be able to drink. Like four or five of them, right? <laughs> if the if the uh, need arises, so if the need arises, um, talk about kind of how you figure out what you should brew because you did you mentioned the a little bit of the freedom that you get with a place like this to uh, to make what you want to make, but um, when you're talking about a place that has food, also that has to be in the back of your mind a little bit that what you're making has to complement what's happening over there. And, and this, this dance back and forth, I guess, and keep people to uh, keep consuming more of both. <laughs> right. For sure. And like, I'm lucky that like Scotty makes such good food that most beers that I make are going to taste good with his food. Right. Um, but in the whole kitchen staff for that matter. Um, but I think for me, it's kind of, I look back, at like kind of the scene in Chicago a lot of times. Cause that was one thing There were just pubs at brew pubs everywhere right. there. You know, it's such a thick market that I kind of look at like what as bad as it sounds, look at like what other people were doing and kind of play off that too. Cause like, it's also a different market. People want different things right. here than they do there. And I'm still kind of learning, but what have you noticed that people want here versus what they were wanting there? I think it's a more overall <clears throat> trend but definitely we go through a lot of our light lager um a lot so that's cool i mean <laughs> I, I dig a good light lager so um i wish i could say that's not just a cincinnati thing but you know it's maybe like just this here no it's everybody yeah, <laughs> we, for sure. we just drank a lot of it um you guys also where you're at here if people haven't been here i assume you guys are um a year and what like three three months something like that. Something like that. Um, people hopefully that listen to the show have been here, but if not, you guys are right next to a large park. Which normally, um, again, the, the last you know, last chunk of time has been a little goofy. There's um, you know, there's baseball games. There's people who are sitting outside and then want to come and have a beer afterwards or before or during or whatever. It it lends itself to beers like a uh, like a light lager or something that you you do want to just sit outside and kind of put back a few of. So maybe it is more just the maybe the location mm -hmm. leans into that a little bit. I don't know. Um, I know that um, Northern Kentucky also does not have shouldn't say it that way. 
this side of Northern Kentucky does not have a ton of breweries um, going on. And so you, you get a lot of people from that side of the river coming over too. And I think that there's a lot of people over that way. And if you get a little further South that maybe drink a little more lighter beer. Well, it's also an accessibility. I'm going to get an angry email for that. It's an accessibility (laughs) thing too. Like it's, I mean, I order them all the time. When I, whenever I go to a brewery, that's one of the first things I order too, just because I want to see how they did it. And, right. You know, it, 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 you can't hide behind a lot. I mean, you know, we've, we've said that a lot or people have said that a lot that, you know, you can't hide behind a light lager. There's not, um, there's nothing to hide the flaws. And I hope people kind of understand that by now. And I assume again, the people that listen to the show, I hope you guys are a little, um, a little more, I guess, uh, beer educated and get that side of it, that it's, um, it is a, it is a difficult beer to brew. You can't, you know, oh, just yeah. dump, you can't just dump a ton of hops in there to hide things. You can't, um, you can't d- even, you know, the, the maltier side, some of those big giant dark beers, sometimes that can hide the, <laughs> some of the fermentation flaws that are there. For sure. I mean, like people give, you know, big breweries a, a bad rap and like their business practices are one thing, but when it comes to like the product, like they do something and they do it very well. And that's kind of what people have grown accustomed to is like yeah. that very clean beer. So it's cool to try to like get people who are used to that into your product. Cause it's also like, you know, you talk those big breweries, a lot of it is, you know, controlled by computers at this point too like it's it's dialed in like it's you know, very automated it's yeah. it's insane the uh the amount of technology and and skill that went into creating that product um to get it to be what it is then and the fact that you've got people now that even you know smaller than what the scale is here you've got guys on you know basic homebrew systems that are that are making beer that tastes as good as some of those beers that millions and millions of dollars have been dumped into it's it's incredible yeah and i mean like the automation is on the hot side but cold side there's still people you know handling the fermentation there and like i think a lot of it is like diffusion of knowledge too like a lot of the information that they have is finally filtered down to craft brewing and then from craft brewing is filtered down right to home brewing so yeah we're we're at a we're at a very neat time um for this industry where um, the average person knows about craft beer now. Mm-hmm. The uh, the, uh, the every home brewer has access to the amount of knowledge that uh, even you know the some of the most talented brewers in the world have. We've got the internet now, where you can you can get anything at your fingertips. It's just it's it's a good time to be a beer drinker. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about uh, about dead low and how the last uh however many months the last year we'll say has has been it's been crazy for the industry it's been crazy for um for everybody for you know people who even who you know maybe aren't in the beer industry know what is what is what has been happening so it's how have you guys been doing how have you guys managed it how have you kind of navigated through the the chaos of what you can do, what you can't do, what you want to do, what you don't want to do. I think we're really lucky here. Um, as you mentioned, we have a very large outdoor area, which really kind of pushed us through the summer. Like that was, and the inside is also very large. So like we have the ability to 
still serve beer, do it safely. And, you know, obviously it's not to the volume that we normally would be able to, but kind of gives us, like I said, we're lucky. A lot of people don't have that. You know, I know a lot of people in Chicago with more, obviously with the population density, there's, there's stricter rules there. And like, there are places that are going out of business and that's really sad, you know? So I think, you know, we're lucky here that we don't, or haven't really faced that. It's, it's scary that, and I've talked about this on the show, so I, I won't dwell on it too much, but it's scary to think that you can have a business, you can start a business, dump everything that you have into it, and through no fault of your own, you could be doing everything right, and because of a pandemic, and then the state that you're in, and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the restrictions that are put on you because of that, it can, it can destroy all of that stuff. And we... You know, I, we're lucky in Ohio that, you know, we weren't shut down that long and that places have been able to kind of get scrappy, figure it out. Um, there are some places that have thrived during all of this and figured out these ways to change who they are as a business. And um, I was very nervous, I think, a year ago in March and... Um, I, you know, still not super comfortable about the state of things, but I feel a lot better about where everybody is and where they're going. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those situations where you can't really cast blame on anybody. Like everybody's in a lose lose situation with the whole pandemic I mean, thing. You, you, know? you can blame some people when but, you, when well, you get somebody walking in your door and fighting about, you know, putting on a mask or, well, you know, true. staying six feet away from people or whatever it may be, you know, you can blame people like that. Right. It's okay. Yeah. You can't blame anyone who's going out of their way to be a good person, I guess, right. you know, like it's, you know, that's like from business owners to government officials and everything. Um, and like, I know there are brewery owners in Chicago who still just aren't opening, even though they're allowed now because they aren't comfortable with it. And I, it, as damaging as it is to shut down as a business, it's probably more damaging to shut down, open back up, and then have to shut down again. Especially if you're a business like you guys are here where you have a kitchen, right. you've got a cooler full of food that you're trying to figure out right. how much needs to be in there for the, the, the coming however long. Um, depending on how long a shutdown is, uh, that, that, that can, that's a lot of money for sure that is essentially just going to get thrown away. Well, and um, like the leading business model in the brewing industry, like kind of trending recently has been the small, super small tap room, no like outside production, just all in-house sales. And like, that's been a moneymaker, but like no one could have predicted. Well, it's, I, like, I feel bad. I, you know, um, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the, uh, the breweries in the area, but Mount Carmel is one of the oldest breweries in, in Cincinnati, craft breweries. Um, they started out production only, you know, hand bottling. They, well, they started out just hand filling growlers and selling them, you know, to, to uh, gas stations and, and Kroger and stuff. Uh, moved to this bottling line, this production only model. And then the world changed and you had to have a tap room. They were one of the first to get their tap room open and um, spent a long time shifting that model for them from this production to a tap room. Finally got this uh, new facility built, this beautiful restaurant brew pub in 2019, I think it opened. (laughs) And then the world changes again. And then they're trying to figure out how to shift that and change that. And I look at places like that and they're one example here in town. How many places across the country are like that, that are, you know, 
have been, you know, trying to figure out what craft beer is their entire existence and never really hit that, that, that comfort zone where you can just hang out and make beer. You're just yeah. always trying to change with the industry and with stuff like this that's going on. It's, it's crazy. Well, and like there's so many different trends that were going on when that happened too. I mean, like there was kind of this move where the smaller breweries and the really, really big breweries were going to be the one, like everyone thought right. those are the only ones that are going to survive because all those middle, like, you know, three to 15,000 barrel a year breweries, like they, there's no way they could make it. But then they were in the best position when all this happened because mm. they had product out in the market. So it's just a weird, weird thing. Well, and I, I think... I think long term it will get places to think differently about how they're setting up their business. It'll it'll make places places stronger. It'll make the industry stronger yeah. in the end. Um, nobody's ever going to be comfortable again. They're always going to be on the edge of their seat, just waiting for the next thing that's going to happen. I mean, the industry's been here since the Mesopotamians, so like it's not going anywhere. Right. It's just a matter of like what what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, we're as drinkers, we're always going to be drinking, um, but whose drink are we going to be drinking and how do we get it is the, uh, the big question. Uh, what is this one? Uh, this is our session IPA. So I love a good session IPA. Great. Uh, this is, you know, a nice bright, um, kind of mosaic led grapefruity right off the top. Yeah. You got that, that real like mosaic up front, um, cascade and actually Palisade is the third hop in that guy. Those are the kind of the backup to the mosaic. Oh yeah. That's great. Thanks man. That's um exactly exactly what you want from a session IPA. It's it's light, easy to drink. Again, I've said that I think with every beer so far. Um it's not super bitter. It doesn't have that uh that that bite to it that I think would turn some people mm-hmm. off that are kind of afraid of IPAs. There's definitely some bitterness there, but um it's really fruity. Like uh Again, talking about the trendy stuff, the fruitier IPAs, I think, have, have taken over the world right now. And um, this leans towards that without being that horribly muddy mess of what people are calling IPA. Right. And again, like, it's one of those where, like, two years ago, you couldn't buy Mosaic, you know. But, you know, trends have changed and everyone wants all these new varieties of hops. So, you know. <laughs> mosaic and mosaic's a good hop it's still there it's always shifting and change it's funny to if you uh, ever look at some of the prices of what you know i mean obviously you do but um if you're like me that's just a beer drinker and you're not really worried about making beer if you just look at the way those prices shift and change based on demand it's uh it's crazy even from year to year the way it changes right. <laughs> just based on what people are scrambling to get a hold of oh and hop speculation is one of those I don't, I I can't tell you how many times I've been caught caught up in hop contracts because like we just bet wrong and like either we had too much at the end of the year or you know a certain type of hop hop took off that year and you know we couldn't find it anywhere. Well, and when you're a smaller brew pub like this, that's not the end of the world. If you right. have if you have an IPA that you've been making a whole bunch of and it uses a bunch of X hop and that becomes super popular. It's not going to kill you to change right. that hop. People here aren't going to care because they're expecting new things. They're expecting change. They're expecting something fresh and different on tap. 
Whereas if you're a, a Rheingeist or a Madtree or somebody and you have your flagship IPA, that this is what it tastes like. And all of a sudden, that is hard to get. Well, I mean, creating a hot blend is a beautiful thing because like, if you have four or five different hops in a beer, in a flagship beer, and you can't get one of them, it's not as big right. of a deal as if like this is an all citra IPA and then citra totally dries up. That's something I never really thought about um, at all. Really, I you know I was watching something on on YouTube, some kind of one of those um, documentaries that somebody made about something, and they were talking about Hetty Topper, and they were uh, they were interviewing him, and he was talking about how um, every year, you know, it's. it's it's very different every single year. You know, it's like, yep. this is, this is what Hetty Topper is going to taste like this year because of um, maybe I'm getting a different hot blend that, uh, that is more cost effective this year or just gets me really excited when I, when I smell the hops and, and go out there and pick them. Well, and like places like that, they're go out and they're going out to the harvest and they're actually like taking part in that too. So, but they are picking different hops yeah, to put in sure. this beer that everybody has some kind of expectation for. And for that's, sure. that's gotta be, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's, that's something that I think a lot of us drinkers don't really think about when we're, uh, you know, grabbing that flagship IPA off of the shelf that, um, how are they going to get this to taste? I thought I turned my volume down. <laughs> don't get edited. That's okay. <laughs> um, that, you know, you, you're expecting it to taste like something and it does, but maybe it's tweaked a little bit here. Maybe it's tweaked a little bit there. And um, there's an artistry, I guess, in that. Yeah. I mean, even like crop year to crop year, the same hop will taste different. You know, it's very much like a terroir, like a weather thing too. Like, like a good example would be uh, Sriracha Ace from Brooklyn. You know, like one year that beer will taste like super lemony. The next year it'll taste like dill, like straight dill. And then the year after that it'll taste like lemongrass. Like there is this, and that's totally based on, you know, where it was grown and the weather conditions that year and all of those different variables. Well, and again, talking about, you know, big beer places like Budweiser or something, they want that beer to taste exactly the same every single year. And the right. drinkers that drink that want it to taste exactly the same every time they go buy it. I think craft beer drinkers, like, as long as you're your understanding of what it is that you're drinking. Like, I think that's part of the fun too, is that yeah, you could, sure. especially with maybe a, you know, a, a, a limited release or a smaller release that, um, you know, you're all, you're expecting it to be different. And that's, right. that's part of the fun is the comparison of what it was last time and what it might be next time and um, how it fits with your, maybe your mood or whatever it is that, that time you're drinking it. Like, that's part of the, it's part of the journey for sure. And, uh, I don't think that, uh, um, big beer has ever really figured that side of it out, whether they want to or not as a whole other thing. Well, I mean, that's kind of a tradition thing as well. Like if you look at even like large lager breweries over in Germany, I mean, they want that consistent product and certain hops don't really change from year to year. You know, like, right. you know, if I have like, Holler Tower Middle for a, like I have a pretty clear expectation on what that's going to taste like year to year. And that's what a lot of these, like, especially in Germany, that's, they're all using those noble hops. But when it comes to like uh, hops that are at the forefront, like, those can change a little bit from year to year. So, right. and again, that might be something that only like brewers really notice. But, but even, even, you know, 
other sides that as drinkers we don't always think about you know the yeast that you're using as it goes through its lifespan to generation after generation like that does different things to beer especially when you're talking about some of these other uh, more modern yeast strains that are that are real goofy some of the things that they do it changes and you you know depending on where you're at in that life cycle if you don't if you don't know what you're doing <laughs> yeah you know, sometimes you can have weird stuff happen to beer that makes the beer taste different that as a drinker you come in like this just isn't quite this isn't quite what it was before and if you're you know you're, you're budweiser you, you can't have that <laughs> well yeah and they have full labs too right they're you know they know exactly what their use is doing from like gen to gen like i mean when i was at finch we would do there were times where you would get like 20 generations deep on uh 001 just white labs west coast ale and like by the end of that that yeast would that beer would be so dry like <laughs> we'd be, we would have the driest double ipa in the country at that point but part of that was a cost thing and another part was just us pushing it because we you know we were learning but but part of that too is the the process of exploration you know if you if you get you know a certain point into that lifespan of a yeast and it's doing a certain thing that you absolutely love that's maybe that's what you want oh yeah <laughs> for sure you're, like gen, you're now trying to recreate that every time yeah like gen 15 like we're super, super pumped at like the amount of dryness we were getting out of it and then like it starts creeping down towards one play-doh and we're you know start to get a little start calling white labs to get a new pitch so it's a it's a brute ipa right <laughs> that was pre-brute uh was this the uh, kettle sour this is a kettle soured pale ale um oh, okay so speaking of sriracha ace this has sriracha ace and um simcoe Oh, that's fun. So, like, you can't really... The tartness is definitely hidden by the flavor of the hop. Like, I guess that's the best way to describe it. goes both ways for me, though. Like, I'm not a huge Simcoe fan sometimes. Right. Sometimes it comes off tasting like cat pee to me, and it, for sure. I, I don't like Super it. Super catty. I get that in here, but the tartness kind of pushes back on it and makes it so that it is more enjoyable. Right. Well, that's that Sriracha Ace, too. That very lemongrass kind of... I think that kind of bridges the gap between the two. That's good. That um, I like that because I can taste. I can, like I said, I can taste that caddy thing, but in a way that I actually kind of enjoy. I like that. Thanks, that's, man. That's fun. Yeah. Um, a weird beer style that I think uh, is not, again, as represented as it should be. You know, this idea of um, sour and IPA together, or pale ale together. Um, something that I think a lot of people don't understand and uh, maybe respect in the way that it, it could be. Well, I mean, it's like the the dry hop does different things based on the acidity of the beer too. Like they, different things are expressed through those dry hops, you know? And like, again, this is basically just a Berliner that's been dry hopped, you know? Like that's, right. you know, it's a pretty basic traditional style that, there's bit. there's a lot of people in Germany that just yelled if I they're know. listening to the podcast. For sure. <laughs> you can't dry hop a Berliner. <laughs> um I, I enjoy this one a lot. This is uh um, you know, kettle souring is one of those things that I think in uh in recent past there were people that started kind of um giving a bad reputation because of some of the the, the 
poor flavors you can get from a butyric poorly yeah yeah baby vomit for anybody who does not know about butyric acid um whereas you know a kettle sour does not have to taste like garbage there are really incredible kettle or quick sours if you want to call them that because it'll take you away from the kind of the stigma of the word kettle sour but um, well there's very like there's very simple things you can do to avoid that too like i think it was uh at craft brewers conference a couple years ago, there was a study that they did and really. So the bacteria only creates butyric acid when it's aerobic and it's only aerobic higher than 4.75 pH. So if you pre acidify your wort, you never even run the risk of having butyric acid because that bacteria is instantly going anaerobic and handling it just fine. So something with oxygen or something like that, aerobic and anaerobic. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> um, Got a little wonky there. <laughs> but, well, no, there's, there's a lot of people that listen to the show that uh, are extremely nerdy. And then there's people like me that sometimes I get it. And sometimes man, it is just way over my head. <laughs> well, that was a deep cut for them. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I like these a lot. Everything is dead on to what I think it should be, especially with a brew pub and again going back to that idea of food and beer playing together instead of being an afterthought i think that's one of my biggest gripes with kind of this new model that we're seeing with craft breweries where they open a brewery and then find a food partner that just opens up a a window and that idea that the two are operating so separate from each other um it, it doesn't it doesn't let them it doesn't let them build upon each side and turn it into something beautiful. It's like it's just, oh, you want food? Yeah, we got food. So, well no, that's not not really what I wanted. Right. Well they uh, they should never be divorced from each other quite in that way. Right. Know? Um let's talk about kind of the future for, for Deadlet, which I know we're still in the middle of a pandemic. It's really hard to kind of predict where things are going, but um, you guys are through the first year of, of business and in the middle of <laughs> chaos that I think has tested who everybody is. But um, how do you, how do you, how do you plan from here of what year two looks like or, you know, year three or four, or whatever it is. I mean like everything, it's so hard to plan like anything right now. But I think what the last year taught us is that, you know, it's, everything here is totally feasible. Like we could make it through this. We can make it through anything. Like what's going through my head is, will I be able to keep up in terms of beer production? And like, that's just from a practical standpoint because we have a lot of seats, you know? So, yeah, I mean, is, you know, assuming that, uh, that people actually take the vaccine and this starts, you know, going away at some point, hopefully why it's warm outside this year. Um, you guys could get very, but you guys will probably get busy even without that. Honestly, I mean, we have like 150 cats <laughs> in the like just inside, so that doesn't include outside. So, you know, it's and that is not a comment on anything other than like the butts and seats. Like right. that'll be a cool test, and it'll be fun. It's just so. it's so hard to predict and so hard to For understand sure. um, where it might go. You know, there's we talk to a lot of people that are. Um, that are not comfortable going out and then, which I get. Um, but then there's also people that 
are comfortable going out, especially as we get more and more people that are getting vaccinated and maybe, um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm safe. Like, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I can go out. <laughs> and so I think we're going to start seeing um, a lot of weird, a lot of weird weeks. You'll get one week where you have a lot of people and then one week where you don't and trying to figure that out is, um, I don't know how you do it. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't. I mean, it's just a very like, kind of take it as it comes right. thing. Um, I mean, it's also slow season right now, too. Like any other year, I would totally expect a downturn in the winter, you know. So, so through all of this, you guys started doing crawlers. Yep. Um, do you think that um, – and 16-ounce crawlers, too. Well, these – we mostly just do 32 ounce. Garbage. Okay. Yeah. 16s are for samples for gotcha, outside gotcha. kegs. So, but people are now starting to get used to coming in here and getting beer and taking it home. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be a push for, for packaging from you guys in the next foreseeable future? Maybe at some point. I mean, there are some good manufacturers of can lines where it's no longer as big of a hurdle as it used to be. So, I mean, I'm not ruling anything out. You know, it's, I've definitely, we've talked about it and it's not something that's foreign to me. It's not something that scares me because again, like I said, this is my first time getting to brew all brew pub beer. So, <laughs> you know, the, the prospect of having a few cans on the market isn't, you know, it's only, it's just good marketing, you know? Right. It, um, you know, there's a lot of people, again, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There are a lot of people that it's hard for them to get out that aren't comfortable getting out. It's it's nice to be able to still support the places that you wish you were sitting at the bar. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. And I mean, we've seen a lot of places that I didn't think would be in packaging this year, in packaging this year. Um, whether or not that is a, uh, a marketing move, whether or not that's a necessity we need to sell more beer and people aren't coming in to get it. Um, I mean, shelf space is shelf space is very competitive. So it's, you know, if you don't have to get into that, you know, it's, we're also in Ohio. You don't have to get into that. You right. can, you can ship to people. Exactly. Like that, yeah. we, we, we're, we're in a, we're in a pretty good state as far as uh, alcohol laws go. Like we've got, I can tell you that. We've got some leeway. Yeah. It's a, uh, <laughs> in Illinois, there are very much stricter rules in terms of, there, there is no direct distribution to consumer. In house, yes, you can sell cans out the door, but right. you can't deliver at all. So, you can't even self deliver to to uh, accounts. Like you have to. There's a dock rule where you actually have to get it to the dock of your distributor. If you're not self distributed, if you self distribute, you're capped at 500 barrels a year, which is very low. Right. So, if you go that route, that's cool, but. If you don't, you actually have to take it to your distributor, then take it. It's insane that we live in a country where things are so different from state to state like that. And in some states, if you're in the middle of the state, I, it, you don't see that it's so crazy. But like, you know, where we're at here, you know, we've got three states all smack right up against each other. You know, you could, if somebody wanted to, you could jog to Kentucky right now. I'm not jogging to Kentucky. That's too far, but... Um, it's right there and their laws are extremely different than they are right here in Ohio. And like, it's, it's crazy that we're still in that point here in 2021. And it's pretty wild. I mean, you go what 50 miles South and there's tri counties. So yeah. it's, it's weird. 
hopefully one thing that uh, the pandemic and the, the chaos that it brought with it will do is get people thinking a little bit differently. And, and they have, you know, we've, you know, some laws have loosened up, some things have um, uh, kind of made people think that maybe we're, we're doing things the wrong way. And, um, you know, for everything from the, the influx of places doing, you know, Dora's and whatever the state's equivalent of the outdoor recreational areas are, you know, everything from that to, like I said, shipping directly to your customers. Stuff. It's, there's going to be some stuff that's good that comes out of this, I think. There will. I mean, there always is. It's just a matter of getting there, you know. And we're on our way. So. All right, last one. Okay. This is a Russian Imperial Stout. All right. So. Big, roasty. Like, this is uh, this is not the Baltic Porter. This is, no, uh, this leans heavy into the, the stout. They're nine and a half percent. Be a little booze on the back end. Still not overpowering though. No, it's there's um it's there. You know it's there, but it's not. No, that's great. Yeah. There's a little bit of like a dark fruit going on too. Um dare I say it easily drinkable for an Imperial stout. <laughs> I think that's I have the goal, to. man. Like it's it's approach <laughs> approachability is key. Like you want to make it as easy as possible for people to enjoy your beer, especially like if they don't normally drink craft beer. Well, it's, it's fun too, to see how getting in a place like this, if you take somebody that uh, maybe all they drink is that big light beer, um, they, you know, get a 18 pack of cans every week and sit and watch football and drink that beer. And then they come here for dinner because they saw this place and somebody told them it was good. And they sit down and they, you know, they order that beer and, oh, we don't have that. You know, we, we make our own beer. Oh, okay. What do you, what do you have that's closest to that? It's fun to see then that journey of, and maybe, maybe they don't ever drift from that one light lager, but um, maybe they do and they try other things. And sometimes stuff like this just resonates in that, that perfect way that they didn't know that it would. And that's what I love about brew pubs and about even even tap rooms in general you know that the, you get those people that, that walk in that don't know what they're getting into <laughs> right yeah you want to try it. to hook that one person that's there because he's like just with a group of friends you know and that person could be anywhere on the spectrum it's just a matter of finding something that's accessible to that person let's talk about the that spectrum a little bit um you guys get a lot of different people that are looking for different things here. Um, you guys have seltzer. We do. Uh, how do you feel about seltzer? <laughs> I mean, it's a necessary evil, right? Like, I'm like I said, I'm never going to fault anyone for what they want to drink. It's not my business, I, you know. Like, I mind a little bit. Yeah. Now. No, I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. Like, I'm also there's not, a lot. Of, there's a lot of seltzer in my garage in the fridge, right. and so I don't judge that heavily but i'm not super passionate about making seltzer but like it's also not a big lift to like make some sugar water and ferment it um i mean that said that's kind of i'm taking the path of least resistance here like we have just plain seltzer on tap and then we have different flavorings and syrups that people can kind of choose i think that's the right way to do it i think it's it's fun for people they can come up with their own little blend if they want to right. too and kind of create their thing. It's kind of like the snow cone model. Like right. so. 
Um, what about cider? Are you guys doing cider at all? We are not no. currently doing cider. Okay. Um, you know, where where does it go? This this idea of um, people looking for light, sugary, easy drinking nothingness that is uh that is seltzer right now like i mean it's always you, been there like i mean do you come th- from an era of mike's hard and like schmirnoff ice and zima like it's always been there you know it's just a matter of do you think it's gotten worse or do you think that it's, I think it's just gotten easier i know i think it's <laughs> honestly like if you really look at it like in the context i just mentioned like a dry seltzer is way better than like a Zima, which is like, <laughs> that's true. You know, like 45 grams of sugar. Like it's, I prefer some of like the overly sugary seltzers versus the, the drier ones. Usually like, I think, yeah, it, again, there's a time and place for everything. I'm right? sorry that the red cream, uh, seltzer from March 1st tastes like red cream soda. And it's that sounds awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. But you know, like I just, I don't, it, I can't figure out if it's if it's um if it's people that would have drank a craft beer that now aren't because the easier path is just to grab that seltzer or if it's people that uh wouldn't have been drinking anything I I don't know. I think it's, it's the latter. Is it the the wine drinkers? Is it the people that were drinking cider a few years ago? Is it like I can't figure it out. I just can't get a good uh I think it's kind of like a melange of like people who would not have drank the craft beer who like are wine drinkers or liquor drinkers or, you know, are gluten intolerant. Like, I think there's a big like group of people there. Right. That's why it just makes sense. Like it's, you know, it's fun to like say it's this like weird, like market and kind of point at them and like, but there, I mean, there's some legitimate reasons there and like, you know, who am I to like say, no, I'm not going to, Put some bags of dextrose and some water, and <laughs> well, and like there are places, and I haven't, I haven't tried yours, but there are places that are making some seltzer. That's that. I mean, and good is is very relative because it's good is as close as it gets to like nothingness to me. Like as close as you can get to a clean flavor is right. the best you can get as far as the base of your seltzer goes. But there are some places that are making some really good seltzer. That's that's impressive. To do, especially, you know, when you're talking about, you know, fermentation without distillation, you know, to right. create something that doesn't have character to it. <laughs> like, it sounds, it sounds well, really silly when like, you're saying it out loud, but it, like, it is impressive. I mean, the goal is like a void of character, right? Like, right. So it is, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't kind of fun to like make sure it like didn't taste like anything. You know, and like I don't have the ability to like <laughs> sterile and carbon filter and all that stuff. Hearing but like, it said out loud is so absurd, though. <laughs> it is for sure, absolutely. Like I, but you know, it's again there are aspects that are kind of close to beer. If I really want to like do some mental gymnastics, like clarity is something that is like super important. Right. And you know, again, like the kind of yeast you're using isn't really an issue. Like it just kind of does its <laughs> thing. But you know, and the way we're doing it, they're kind of more, it's seltzer, but there's a little bit of sweetness there because we're using syrups. So, you know, people can kind of decide how sweet they want it. So it's, it's interesting. It's fun to watch. It's definitely fun to watch, um, where, where it goes. For sure. Like it's, 
I just hope we don't get back to Mike's Hard Lemonade and uh, Schmirnoff Ice. And oh, it's coming. <laughs> Which one is that? That's, That's the short spear. Um, what sorts of things would you like to play around with that you haven't yet? Is there anything? I mean, in this building, um, I wouldn't mind doing a little bit of barrel aging. Like that's always kind of fun and seeing how things develop. Um, my employer would say clean barrel aging, but I'm going to push against that and see what kind of fun I could have. Um, but barrel aging would be really cool to kind of play around with. And then just whatever classic styles I can do kind of slide on the radar without any adulteration. <laughs> so, well, it's, I think that you can almost, and I, I think I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think you can almost trick people with tradition. Now you can, sure. you can, you can make a style that maybe they don't really, I mean, again, going back to fretboard that spundent, you know, can't pronounce it, but I can tell you all about it now because they created this beer with woolly pig that, um, is a style that nobody knew anything about. And they just kind of thrust it upon you and said, here, try this for sure. By the way, here's the story of what this beer is. If you're interested, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's cool for like, sure. that you can, you can still, um, you can still kind of stumble your way into something that's been around for a really long time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see that with the Quebec strains of yeast that are around Great right example, now. Yeah. I mean, Years ago, one of my coworkers, uh, Mike Jacobs, he's at All Rise Brewing in Chicago now. He did a Gotzlandrica, and like his only option was to use a Belgian yeast. You know that was that was it. When realistically, it's a Scandinavian style, and now all these Quebec strains are coming out, and like that's the kind of thing you can kind of play off of. Like right now on on tap inside, I have a Scandinavian farmhouse, which is essentially kind of a Sati Gotzlandrica, but no smoke, right? like no smoky malt. So that kind of thing you can kind of rebrand and kind of push towards people. It's, it's fun because if you don't care, you don't have to care. You can just sit down at the bar and order your beer and drink it. And be like, oh, this is good. And then, you know, uh, get your wings or whatever you're eating and then right. move on. If you want to journey into what you're drinking, you can, especially when you're talking about places like this, you can really kind of start diving deep into what this is and where it came from and why it is what it is. And For sure. I, I love it. I love it so much that I can't even begin to explain how much I love it. Um, what about uh, some other, what about distillation? Do you guys talk about the idea of going there at all? never been brought to my attention. it's it's you know i i think it's maybe it's becoming a, a a trend that people are kind of exploring um maybe not i you know it's cool but it's scary too and you know well it's, it, uh, you know I, there was um there was a news story that popped up the other day of some craft distillery that had a blew up. yeah blew up like it, i i thought I, i'd always heard people talk about that I'm like oh yeah if, if you're not paying attention and you're being stupid about something yeah they had um, someone in there like a friend it's like a, just like like a tour watching. or something yeah. and that's the guy that got hurt second degree burns all over his body yeah so, it's crazy but there definitely is a um when you talk about brew pubs and places that people are going to sit and hang out all day and or all night and uh you know drink and eat and uh watch live music or whatever they're doing the idea of being able to serve your own spirits is a fun one. It is cool. And I totally respect It's a tradition that I don't know enough about. Are you intrigued by it at oh, all? Sure. Like that, uh, oh, yeah, that, absolutely. That process. It's and, very cool. I, th- I think it's very cool. And it's, 
just not something I've ever really committed time to learning. That well, that you know, it used to be like I when when you started seeing craft distilleries pop up, mm-hmm. I was really curious to see how people got into it. Yeah, and a lot of people wouldn't talk about it because they were it's illegal. Yeah, yeah, where you didn't have places that you could go to and you know work and learn the process and then start your own place. Whereas, you know. Other other industries you can for sure even craft brewing you just do it at home right. and then kind of get into it that way. But distilling even now even still with places it's hard to get into and hard to hard to figure out. I mean I view it how I have to believe a lot of craft beer drinkers brew like view brewing. You know just I enjoy it. I think it's cool. I like hearing stories about it. But like I and I respect it. But I don't understand it as much as I probably could. It's like um, when you're when you're cooking. Like, like food when you're cooking you you can tweak things as you go right you you taste it as you're cooking and like you know this is this needs more of this or less of this and yeah you can tweak it as you're going you know when you start talking about brewing beer there's still there's some play there there's a, still a little bit of wiggle room because you as things are going you can figure out what's what's happening then when you start talking about distilling that becomes even less so and then when you talk about putting it into barrels after distilling, there's even less so there. And that's that's fascinating to me that like that that from you know step one to the time that something like a bourbon is in your glass, there's so much that you can't you can't tweak. So like for me, the the part that's really the aging part doesn't scare me. Because like I've aged and blended beer. Oh, it terrifies beer. me. I, I've aged and blended beer before. Like that's it's hard, but like you know, there's, you had a lot of time and variables and wiggle room, you know, like, but the actual act of distilling, like the heads and the tails aspect of it, like the thought of making someone blind with my product just terrifies me. <laughs> See, like no I, one, I've heard about stills blowing up. I have not heard about somebody going blind. Well, that's the whole like myth of like moonshine can make you go blind. Like you're supposed to like only take the middle portion of the distill. Yeah, but you have to add in a little bit of the heads or, or right. it's either the heads or the tails. One of them, like you have to add a little bit to give it some kind of character or else it's just straight yeah. just straight ethanol and doesn't right. taste like any other. Yeah, yeah, ethanol. exactly. I have no idea how to do that. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. For sure. We went way off topic. <laughs> that's all good. Um, that's, I mean, that's about time. Is there anything that you want people to know about Deadlow that you think they don't know right now? It's a big question, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's... <laughs> pretty open-ended question um not just the fact that like we are we're open and we're trying really hard to make sure it's safe and trying to create as normal of an experience as possible while still respecting people's you know health during these weird weird times right now we're getting close guys we're there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we will um we will get there i I promise I've, i've promised that i think for six months that we will get to the end of this and we will. We will get to the point where we can go sit at a bar again and laugh, laugh close to somebody. You can talk to your bartender face-to-face about what you're drinking and um, if this would have happened, then get up and hug them. If this would have happened 30 years ago, like it would have been horrible, but we have Netflix. So like, right. <laughs> it's not as bad as it could be like, is the I mean, you, shot, you, know? you, you, you understand with twins at home, the chaos of having children at home when you're locked down at home. Oh my, <laughs> trust me. Uh, I, no one knows more than my wife. Probably she's, 
how anybody can manage to work from home with children. I, I don't understand. I, I can't figure out how people are doing it. I um, I certainly cannot. I have to. I have to sequester myself to the other end of the house and leave the kids with my wife to uh, to bother her while she's working because I can't do it. Oh, I, I don't know how I can't focus. I don't know how my wife does it. And so, yeah. God bless any of you who are dealing with that. <laughs> um, we will be back next week. Um, I know. I don't think I talked about it on the brewcast but i know on some of my other shows i've been talking about shows that are planned in the future some of them postponed like 19 times some of them uh well they're all happening but i don't know when so um i'm gonna quit predicting what is coming next week but there will be something um thank you grant very much for uh taking some time out of your day to uh drink some beer with me and talk about what's going on thanks for coming by uh go to the show notes there's links for social media and all of that stuff since he broke out the voice of since he craft <laughs>